Amen. Uh, well, I was in Fred Meyer the other day. I'm a Maple Valley mom, and I love Fred Meyer. You know, and I've been going backwards in that I used to only do the thing where they bring you the groceries. I was in that phase of life, but now I've gone, I've, I've changed, and now I'm going back into the store because it's just a little bit more manageable. But I was in the store the other day, and I saw something that enraged me and also encouraged me, and that was that I saw the back-to-school display. And I was like, <laughs> I will say, it's, it's a it's love-hate relationship. I, I am so sad that summer is coming to an end. I know we've, you're going to hear about it. I was driving the other day and I saw brown leaves on a tree and I audibly said out loud, no, like I'm like, I'm not, I don't want it. And it's like, I'm ready for summer. As soon as January hits, I'm like, bring me back to summer. We're done. And so I'm, I'm mourning that. I'm going to savor every second of summer while I can, but I am super stoked for back to school. And it's not because I want my kids to get out of the house. It's more like, I just like the rhythm of it. I like, there's something just so sweet and wholesome about like school shopping and school snacks and the bus stop. I was, I, I was at Fred Meyer and they had a display of like lunch snacks. And I literally was like, oh, lunch snacks. And then I was like, I have these snacks already. But seeing them on display in like lunch style just made me like, it like warmed my heart. I'm like, this is nice. And I was one of those people growing up, one of those kids that actually just loved going back to school. I had a great experience in school and I was a school person. Do I have anybody else that was like ready for summer to end and go back to school? It's okay, don't be ashamed, I'm with you. Am I the only person? Oh, okay, I'm like, thank you. Wow, okay, good, good. But here's the deal. I would love to tell you guys, just to impress you, that my reason to go to school was just because I just love to learn. That had nothing to do with that. I was at school for one reason and one reason only, and that was that I wanted to see my friends. And if I learned something, then that was just an added bonus. But the whole purpose of me going to school was so I could hang with my friends and have fun. I was co content being just a BC average student, just drifting by, doing my thing, you know, having a good time. And that worked really well for me for a while. And then get into high school, I had to take a foreign language class. I was so excited to take a foreign language class. I think that anyone who speaks multiple languages, I am baffled like that you can do that. And I remember thinking, this is my chance to become bilingual. I'm so excited. And our two options in our school was Spanish and French. And I'm like, obviously, I'm going to take French because I'm going to go to France all the time as an adult. <laughs> That's what adults do. They go to France, and I will be one of those adults. I've never been to France. If anyone here wants to start a GoFundMe and send me to France, I'll sign up. But I learned really quickly when I started French class that foreign language and my brain, they just don't click. There is a missing link, and that's probably why I'm so mesmerized by anyone that can speak two languages. I'm like, how does your brain do it? And I, ha I do have the ability, I will say, I can retain useless information, movie quotes, I can, I have Amish Paradise by Weird Al memorized. Don't ask me how, I just do. It's a gift God gave me. I can retain certain quotes from languages, such as I can say in Romanian. I'm not gonna tell you what it means. Um, ask me later, I won't say it from the stage. It's not bad, it's just like, I don't know. But then I can also say in French, the one thing I retained was which means lift up the cow. So yeah, <laughs> so I, I know. I don't know, I don't know why. I don't know why. That is all I remember is la la vache, lift up the cow. So it's come in handy many times when I meet people um, who speak French. I'm like, oh, you speak French, la la vache. And they kind of look at me like, oh. And then they're like, 
And I'm like, I don't know either, but you're welcome. There you go. And so I just learned really fast. I'm like, I just, foreign languages and me, it just doesn't work, but I have to pass high school and I have to figure this out. So I did what any other 15-year-old would do, and I, maybe not, but I decided, I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to cheat my way through class. And I did. And so I just want to say, before I get into this story, please don't judge me. God has redeemed my life. And <laughs> by the grace of God, I'm not the same person I was when I was 15. But, you know, this is my story. This is my truth. And basically what I did is every single day on the bus, I would sit next to this, my friend named Jeremy, Jeremy Sant, if you're listening, wherever you are, thank you. And he would just hand me his, his notebook of all of his answers, and I would just copy everything. And it was our little routine. I'd sit on, next to him on the bus, he'd slide it on over, and I'd be like, thanks, Jeremy, how are you doing? And I'd just write everything down. And I would turn it into class. He was super smart, got A's on everything, so I got A's on everything. But I knew that my teacher knew because I was just such a dork in class and wouldn't do anything. And I just knew he hated me also. Like, you know, did you ever have one of those teachers where you're like, I just know you hate me. And I felt that from him. And it was probably because he knew that I was royally cheating my way through the class, but he couldn't like catch me because it's like I had the homework. And it worked out great. We had one oral exam. I knew I was going to bomb it, but I was like, I've got all my, all my homework has 100%. I'm good. So then about halfway through the year, our teacher, he springs something on us. He's like, class, we're having a written exam. At the end of the week, it's on Friday. You have four days to prepare. You can't have any notes. Boom. And I remember my heart sank. I'm like, I'm screwed. This will be my demise. What do I do? I can't, there's no way I can learn a whole semester's worth of French in, you know, four days. I have done nothing to retain any of this. I'm freaking out. And then I had a brilliant idea. I was like, I will just cheat on the French test. Again, this is, these are darker times. So I think really hard about it. What am I going to do? So what did I do? I got one of those clear pens one of the ones that, you know, make your handwriting look nice. I have terrible handwriting, so it really helped me out a lot. And I spent hours, like hours, working on this little piece of paper that was about this big, writing every single thing I could think of on there. And the irony of it is I was actually studying and doing that. Like, it was a way of studying. Um, but I spent so long doing it. I mean, I, I had multiple copies of it. I had multiple drafts because I had to get it perfectly right so that I could see it when it was in my pen. And I rolled it up and I stuck it in the pen. And I remember I have this distinct memory of sitting in my desk in my room in high school and looking at my pen and being like, I am a genius. Like, I don't know how I didn't think about this years ago. Like, I, all this time I've been trying so hard, and wow. I remember thinking, I could sell these. Like, people need to know. I didn't start selling them. That would have been a dark path. But I remember I bring my pen to my French exam, walk in. I'm, like, so ready, feeling so confident. Sit down. Teacher hands out the test. I start taking it. I'm just, I'm like, I'm so smart. I'm acing this thing. I am so good at this. The thing that I didn't anticipate, and this was kind of where my downfall came, is that I wrote so small that I couldn't really see the letters unless I looked really closely. But I couldn't like go like this while I'm taking the test because then it would be very obvious that I'm cheating. So I, in the moment, I remember thinking, like, how can I do this? How can I do this? So what I did is I was like, I'll just look like I'm really tired. So I did the thing where you lay on your desk like this and have your pen like this. Just like, I'm just so over this test, it's so boring because it's so easy. I did that. And I, with my good eye, would just like look at the test, you know, and like try to write down the answers. And I remember doing it, I'm thinking this is working, and then all of a sudden, I feel this just presence, just like around me. And I could feel it, and I didn't want to look, but I knew he was there. 
And standing next to me was my teacher, who's wearing his khaki pants and his tucked in polo shirt, sign of the times. And I look at him and he's like, nice pen, Noel. And the whole class, the whole class looks at me. My friend Jeremy, I look over at him and he's like, like he knew this was coming. He's like, I saw this years ago. And I got in so much trouble. I remember my teacher escorted me out of the classroom. I had to go to the principal's office. I got written up, got grounded for like two months. I had to retake the exam in the library with like an auditor with all the like really bad kids. And I remember just feeling like, what have I done with my life? Like, who am I? I don't even know. And it was this big wake-up call for me because up until that point in this class, I had paid no attention. I didn't care. I didn't think it mattered. I was just like, I'm just here to do my thing. Yes, I am in this environment where I'm receiving this information, but does it really matter for me in my life? Obviously, I'm going to go to France all the time as an adult, but I'll just learn a foreign language when I'm in my 30s. You know, that's what I thought, but no. Um, but what's fascinating about learning things and being in a place where you're retaining is the whole purpose of it is so that at some point in your life, this thing that you have been taught, this experience that you've had, this knowledge that you have gained is so that you are able to, when push comes to shove and you need the information, recall what has been stored up inside of you so that you're not having to you know, reference a cheat sheet. You know, like when you get your driver's license, you want to pass your driver's exam so that when you're driving, you're not like flipping through a manual saying, is it a left on red or a right on red? And trying to remember, you know, which way you're supposed to go. If you play an instrument, you're practicing so that you can, you want to memorize it. You want to become fluid. You don't want to have to be stuck staring at something all the time because you, you want to be able to let your hands do what they need to do. And it's, it's similar in life. The things that we retain, the things that we put into ourselves are so that we are able to recall them and not have to dig super deep. They're there. They're, they're something that we tap into. And the things that we retain have the power to serve us and to set us up for success. And they also have the power, if we retain the wrong things, to, to put us on a different path. I want to open up our Bibles this morning to the book of Luke. We're going to start out in chapter 1, verse 26. This is the story of, of Mary. We're not, we're not talking about a Christmas Mary. I love a Christmas Mary, but we're talking about a, a person Mary. We're going to start here in verse 26. Luke 1.26 says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a village of Galilee to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her, for God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, and she's already in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant, and I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. I want to kind of dive in this morning um, 
a little bit of the, the person of Mary, the person of, of her life. And we're going to read here in just a few moments some of these passages that we kind of lump into a Christmas story, which is awesome. Um, but I, wanna, I want us to kind of put on a different lens this morning and be able to read these scriptures, not hearing away in a manger in our heads, but being able to read the story kind of with a different view. So if we, we scan over here, we're going to travel in time over to verse chapter 2. And basically what happens between what we just read in chapter 2, Mary goes, she finds out she's pregnant, she goes to her fiancé Joseph, she tells him, hey Joseph, I'm pregnant, plot twist, it's God. Joseph breaks up with her, he's probably like, you're crazy. And then the same angel <laughs> shows up to Joseph and is like, she's for real. They get back together, they get married, <laughs> they travel, they, she's pregnant, I can't imagine traveling on a donkey as a pregnant person who's hard enough to be in a car, but they do it, they get to... The, the place where Jesus is going to be born, and as we all know the story, you know, there's no room in the end. She can't get anywhere. She's trying to find the place. She has the baby, right? So she goes to the, the manger, has the baby. And what we're going to pick up here is that the shepherds are in a nearby field, and they see a host of angels show up, and they're singing. And this is where we're going to dive in. So this is where we are in the story. Verse 15. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, come on. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see the wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They ran to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Then the shepherds told everybody what had happened and what the angels had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But verse 19 right here. But Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and thought about them often. If you have a pen, you should underline that. But Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart, and she thought about them often. Another translation of that says she, she stored these things in her heart. And the, those words, treasured, stored, it implies this action, an, an intentional keeping of something that's valuable. And what's interesting is we see this exact same phrase used again in the same chapter in chapter 2. We're going to flash forward in time. This is chapter 2, verse 46. And what's happening here now is Jesus is 12 years old, so, you know, literally, like, we just zoomed into the future. His family's in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover, and they lose Jesus for three days. Now, I can't imagine losing your kid for three days. I lost my daughter, Lennon, one time for five minutes in our house. Like, literally, I went to check on her at night, and she wasn't in her bed, and she was, like, two. And I, I literally, every single part of my being was on high alert, even though I knew in the back of my mind, she's in my house somewhere. Like, where could she go? She's two. But that five minutes that I couldn't find her, I was, like, you know, it was, like, an out-of-body experience. I ended up finding her. She was asleep in her brother's closet because they made a fort. Also, last night, they tried to make a water park in her room. So that was fun. Um, <laughs> it's a great, a great thing to discover at 11 p.m., let me tell you. You're a five-year-old and your three-year-old building a water park. But anyway, so they, they can't find Jesus. And this is, like, before Amber Alerts, this is before social media. They're just out there on these streets trying to find their kid with all these people, and they're freaking out, right? So we're going to pick up right when they finally find him, and this is verse 46. It says, three days later, they finally discovered him. He was in the temple sitting among the religious leaders discussing deep questions with them. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching everywhere. She's pissed. But why did you need to search, he says to her. You should have known that I would be in my father's house. But they didn't understand what he meant. 
Verse 51, he, turned, he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And then it says it here again. And his mother stored these things in her heart. She stored these things in her heart. I think that the Bible's super intentional about the language that it uses in repeating the same statement in the, the story of the person of Mary. And I, Mary, to me, is one of the most fascinating characters in the Bible she gets a ton of stage time in our Christian faith at Christmas time. We're like, Mother Mary, virgin birth, and which is awesome. Like, we're going to celebrate that. But I think sometimes we forget that this person played this huge part in Jesus' life. And it, wasn't just, and it wasn't just the virgin birth. And when I read about this, I think of the person that she was. She was the only person that was present at his birth but also at his death. She brought him into the world as her miracle baby and then watched him die on the cross as her savior. When, when she was raising Jesus, you know, as her son, because he was 100% man and 100% God, as far as we know, because it doesn't say that the shepherds all grew up with Jesus or that the wise men came and were like his uncles, and at some point in his life, his earthly father died. So Mary lived her life as the only person that knew that Jesus was God. She didn't have the full story like we have. She didn't have the Gospels. She didn't have the Bible. She didn't have any of that. She's just living her life with what she did have, which was these two moments where she saw God's divinity on display through Jesus, and something in her clicked and said, oh, this is important. I, I have to treasure this. I have to store this in my heart. I imagine her, you know, when the, the first time it says that when the shepherds are there, and, you know, she's just given birth. You know, she's got her baby. And then they're coming and they're worshiping. And something in her, it remembers in that moment, oh, wow, this is real. This is God's promise. This is the Son of God. I have to store this. I have to treasure it. I have to hold on to this moment. And then 12 years later, when, it, when they find Jesus in the temple, and it's funny because it's like it, the Bible says like they didn't understand why he was there when he said the thing, I'm in my father's house. And it's like I can imagine in those 12 years of her raising Jesus up to that point, she probably not every day got up saying, I'm raising the son of God. You know, it's like she's living her life. She's raising her kids. And then in that moment, she sees him sitting with all the the rabbis and they're, they're listening to all the things he's saying and she's like, oh yeah, this boy of mine, this 12-year-old, this, this middle schooler, he's God. He's the son of God. She had to live her whole life. Now, she didn't have a timeline. She didn't know it was going to happen when he's 30. She just knew at some point and this, like what she got from the angel was, you're going to give birth to the son of God. He's going to rule forever. You know, mic drop, we're out. She didn't know all what was going to happen. So she had to live the longevity of her life stewarding this miracle that she was given and stewarding this, this purpose that she was a part of. And the reason we see this language here is because what Mary's doing and what we get to kind of get a little glimpse of is she's seeing these God moments that are so holy and, and wow, divine. 
And instead of just letting it just become part of her story and just something she forgets about, oh yeah, I remember that one time where Jesus got lost and we couldn't find him for three days and then I found him with all the rabbis and everyone's all, Jesus, you know, it's like she didn't do that. She, in that moment, was like, whoa, this is a big deal. What I'm seeing right now is a big deal. I'm seeing, I'm, I'm brushing up against the divine. I'm seeing God on display right now and I have to hold on to this. I have to treasure it. And it says, it doesn't say that she just treasured it. It says she thought about it often. It became the banner, her theme, this, this right here. One of the most important things that we can learn from the life of Mary is that she was strategic about what she stored in her heart. She was strategic about what she put in her heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart because it affects everything that you do. Mary chose her narrative with these experiences. Like when I think of, you know, the Christmas story, and it's so fun because like in our Christian faith, it's so cute to us, you know, and as it, you know, it should be. Like I'm, I'm excited for this Christmas, and I love last Christmas when we have the kids dress up as shepherds, and they all come out. My son was an angel. My daughter was a shepherd. So cute. And we sing sweet songs, away in a manger, and it's so fun. But it's like, if you think about that experience of hers, like as a person, it's traumatizing. You know, she gets, she's pregnant, young, gets broken up with by her fiancé. You know, she, I'm sure in those moments she had times where she's like, wow, God, you've abandoned me. And then he gets back together with her, but then she has to travel. She has to, you know, she's in active labor trying to find a place to have this baby. Can't get in anywhere. She ends up having the baby in a, you know, in the barn, which isn't like a bougie barn like we have now. It's like a, you know, BC barn. So it's like basically like a dirt pit where there's animals. And she, you know, she's there and has to have this baby there. Keep in mind, like I said, she doesn't have the whole story. She doesn't know the wise men are coming. She doesn't know the shepherds are coming. She's just there living her life with this miracle that God's given her, doing her best to steward it. But it doesn't say that that's what she stored in her heart. It doesn't say that that's what she recalls and looks to all the time as her, the things that she's treasuring. No, it says that what she stored in her heart was the miracle. It was the moment where she saw God's presence. It was the moment where she realized, oh, wow, this is real. Oh, wow, what God spoke to me is true. Oh, wow, this really is the son of God. And that's what she held on to. My question for us this morning is when it comes to the things of God, do you treat it like treasure? When it comes to the things of God, is it precious to you? Or has it lost its value? Has it become ordinary? If you've ever truly treasured something, you care for it, you hold on to it. There's a, a respect that you have for it, and it, and it comes out in every part of your life because you care about it so much. Have the things of God in your life, are they treasured? Are they stored? Are they held on to because they're so valuable? Or has it just become stuff that happens at church, normal things? There it is. See, it's so important that we do this. Matthew 6.21 says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. What we treasure begins to become the thing that we give our attention to. It's the thing that we look to. It's the thing that we 
have as our banner. You know, as, as it says with Mary, she, she thought about those things often. And this matters for us today because there are so many things that are coming at us. Their life, just like with Mary's life, it's long. It's, you know, she had to live her whole life, you know, on this journey with Jesus. We have to live our whole life. Life is hard. People are weird. Things happen. You know, we get bad news. We go through funks. You know, we all, every single one of us in this room experience those kind of things. And the reason that we have to treasure the things of God is because when we store those things in our heart, what they become to us are like anchors to our soul. They become anchors that keep us grounded. I was having coffee with somebody recently and, and they were just talking to me about their kind of faith journey and just things that they've been going through. And they said something to me that was so brilliant and it stuck out to me. They were like, every time now when I experience something with God, big and small, I hold on to it like a little anchor. They're like, I think of it like an anchor that just kind of keeps me steady. And it made me think about anchors. Now, I grew up fishing. Do I have any fisher people in the house? Any fishermen? Are you at? Okay. So I grew up survival fishing. So my parents are literally still in Canada right now, survival fishing, and they're waiting to cross the ocean because the waves are too rough. And that's what I grew up doing every year where my family, we would go for three weeks to this place in British Columbia, and it's like this big trip. And one of the parts of the trip is a six-hour ocean crossing where you are on open waters crossing the ocean. And the only thing that's around you in that crossing is literally some islands that are basically the size of this room. Nothing lives on them but trees. And that's it. And one year on the boat, we're crossing the ocean. And just, I mean, literally like a scene out of a movie, our engine dies in the middle of a storm, essentially. I remember waking up and the boat's going like this. I'm waking up to seeing people like puking over the side and everyone's freaking out. My brothers and I were talking about this summer. We all still have like a trauma bond over it. And it was, I mean, literally like, it was like, wow, we're going to die. And I remember in the moment of the storm seeing my dad and the first thing that he did before he called the Coast Guard on the satellite phone before he started, you know, pulling out his toolbox to work on the engine, is him and his first mate started lowering down their emergency anchor. They had to get it down. Because if you've ever been out in open waters before, you have to have an anchor of some sort because if, you're, if you lose power and the sea is pushing you around, you are literally just at the mercy of the waves. And for our boat, we could have been pushed into an island. We could have crashed. And so they had to get that anchor down. And in our lives, if we don't hold on to the things of God like treasure, then we are at the mercy of what just comes at us. We are at the mercy of things that are just thrown at us in our lives, constantly trying to get us distracted, constantly trying to get our attention. But more so than that, the things that come at us are constantly trying to get our worship. I don't know if we realize this, but sometimes... We can box worship into just what we did this morning here in this room, which is a beautiful expression of worship. But we worship God in so many ways that's not just limited to singing. We worship God with our lives. We worship God with the meditation of our hearts. And sometimes when we don't store the things of God like treasure, something else tries to take that place. Something else tries to be the thing that's getting our attention, that's getting our focus, that's getting our worship. And can I tell you, the enemy's number one goal is to get you to worship either him or anything that's not God. Yeah. A little backstory on, like, the devil. He was an angel. The devil. He was, 
<laughs> he was an angel. He was a worshiper. He wanted God's glory for himself. Couldn't get it. And now his life goal is to ruin us by getting us to worship him or anything else. We see this in Genesis 3, the story of Adam and Eve. We're not going to read that, but we've all heard the story. What's fascinating to me with this is that the enemy in this story, he wasn't a jerk. You know, he didn't come in and, like, push Eve around. He, it said, I mean, it literally the opening statement is the serpent was the most clever. Like, he was clever. And how he got Eve to fall was by planting in her a seed of doubt. Did God really say you can't eat that? Did God really say that? He just doesn't want you to have that knowledge, but it's, it's not going to be bad if you eat it. And what that did is instead of her focus and her attention and her worship being on all of the beauty around her, the provision, she got to walk with God in the garden. She had everything she needed. She zoned in on this doubt. She put her attention and her focus and her worship on this doubt that took away her reverence for God, her awe and wonder, her, her deep respect that said, wow, I'm in the presence of God, and instead said, oh, did God really say that? It's a really big deal. I don't need to trust him. And what's fascinating is that the enemy does the same thing now. He does it to us. But it looks like things like, did you really feel the presence of God in that service? Did that song really touch you? No, that wasn't, that wasn't God. That was, it was warm in the room, and the band sounded good. That wasn't God. That's not real. It looks like things like, do you really need to read the Bible? There's stuff in there that you don't understand. There's stuff in there that you're wrestling with. Why would you, why would you, read, why would you read that? Why would you build your life around that? No, you don't need that. It looks like things like, does your church really care about you? You're just a number. They only, they only care because you serve. If you stopped coming, they wouldn't even notice. It looks like things like, do I really need to listen? Did God really say that to you? Was that actually God speaking that to you? No, it wasn't. That was just you. Don't, don't go down that. that. That was you. People are not going to agree with that. He works his way in there by planting these seeds of doubt. What blows my mind with Mary is that somehow in her wisdom, as a young girl, she understood that these moments that she was having with God, she had to hold on to. Something clicked in her that said, whoa, what I'm seeing right now, what I'm experiencing in this moment right here, this is, this is divine. This is special. This is, this is a big deal. And what did she do? She treasured it. She held on to it. She held on to it. I don't know about you, but man, I want to be like Mary in my life. I don't want the things of God to become ordinary, to become just stuff that happens at church, to become things that I laugh about, to become things that I brush off because I get to experience it all the time. We get to experience it all the time. Mary had two moments, two, that we know about where she got to see Jesus before his active ministry display his, his godliness. And she's like, I'm grabbing that. I'm holding on to that. I want to treasure 
the things of God that we experience, the big and the small. You know, I mean, you might be sitting in this room thinking, I don't even know if I've ever had a moment with God. Can I tell you that you have this morning in worship? Wow, we got to be in the presence of God. Oh my gosh, like that's, that's amazing. We, we treasure that. We got to hear testimonies this morning of firsthand accounts of God changing someone's life. That's a miracle. Man, we got to treasure that. You know, you, you walk into church and one of the GGs calls you a sweetie and something in you just comes alive and feels seen. Man, that's God loving on you. Treasure that. You're reading your Bible and a, and a verse pops off the page and speaks to you. Man, Holy Spirit's speaking to you. He didn't have to do that, but he did. Wow, he did that. Treasure it. Next week, we get to be in this room and we get to see baptisms. We get to see people choose to publicly go underwater as one person and come out new. That is a miracle. And we get to be a part of it. Man, can we treasure that? My challenge for us this morning, and it, I feel like it's for us as a church, but also just us as individuals. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not speaking next week, so I can't hold you accountable, but I hope you'll hold yourself accountable. And, but honestly, man, can we not be so busy and not be so just distracted that we let the things of God that we get to experience every day become just ordinary to, and then lose their value. But man, can we be a people that have a reverence for the things of God, a deep respect and awe and wonder, wow, God, you're here. Can we, can we do that? You know, maybe for you that looks like writing stuff down. Maybe for you that looks like, you know, laying at night before you go to bed after you set your 3,000 alarms on your phone like I do, you know, that before you fall asleep, instead of thinking about all the things you have to do the next morning, you close your eyes and you think, okay, God, let's do inventory of what I got to experience today with you. Let's do inventory of when I saw, when you spoke to me at church this morning, when I was driving in my car and I saw the sunset and I was reminded of your glory and your creation. The other day when you convicted me, man, God's convicting you. Woo. Thank God. That's the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to you. So glad God did that to me. I'd still be making cheat pens if he didn't. Be on a completely different path. But by the grace of God, he spoke to me. I want to end with just one story. When I was 17, I went to a conference and I was registered to go to a college. I was so excited to go to this school and everything was in my life was how it should be. And I remember at this conference, God spoke to me. And he told me, don't go to that school, go to this school, you're called to ministry. And I remember in the moment, I remember it. I remember where I was, I can see the room. And I remember writing it down what God said. But the thing I remember writing more than that was God, don't let me forget, help me remember. Because I knew that the second I got back home, I was gonna be faced with my friends. They're like, why are you going to that college? It's weird. I was gonna have to tell my parents who already put a down payment on one college that, hey, Never mind, I'm gonna to go to this other college. I, and I, I heard all the reasons in my head, that wasn't God, that's just this environment, that's just this, that's just that. But I knew, I knew it was God. And I had to actively treasure it. I wanna tell you this morning that treasuring the things of God sometimes comes easy, but man, it's so easy to forget. We have to be active in it. 
we have to actively store it. For me, that looked like I came home from that conference and I had post-it notes everywhere in my room. I had them in my car, I had them in my phone, I had them on my mirror, just reminding me what God did. Every time I talked to somebody, they'd say, how are you doing? And I'd say, well, God told me to go to this. Like, I literally just tell them the whole story, not because they asked. I, they probably thought I was a weirdo because it wasn't for their benefit. It was literally for myself. I was reminding myself what God was speaking to me. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Sometimes we have to testify to ourselves. We have to remind ourselves of what God is doing because it is so easy to focus on all the things that we see, just like even the garden, surrounded by the glory of God. But then she zones in on the one thing that, she, that isn't working, the one question, that one seed of doubt. My encouragement to us this morning is can we be people that treasure the things of God? Truly treasure them. Let that be the meditation of your heart. Let that be what you think about often is treasuring the things of God. I pray for you today. God, thank you so much. God, for your word. Thank you for the treasure that is your presence that reminds us of how real you are, that reminds us of how good you are, that reminds us of how faithful you are. God, I pray that we would be a people as a church, but also just as individuals who live in a, a place of true reverence and awe and wonder for who you are. God, let us never take your presence for granted. God, let us never take any moment that we have with you for granted because we get to experience the divine here on earth. We get to see your work here on earth. And God, we're so grateful. So God, I pray that you would birth that in us as individuals and as a church. In your name we pray.